Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Ron Maring, Chief Information Security Officer at Texas Health Resources. In this segment, Maring talks about the critical role analytics play in the decision-making process, the enormous cultural shift required to transition to an adaptive risk program, what he values most in a vendor partner, and the lessons he learned during his time with the VA and the United States Marines. So basically, I put together an adaptive risk program with the intent to kind of transform all levels of the program from the risk and governance level down through the technology stack. So there you go. Hmm. But it's to account for all of that change, right? You might hear things like zero trust and things like that. Yeah. Zero trust is very technical, though right? So it's really a a very specific set of technical actions that you take in the enterprise. Now, Zero Trust is part of that adaptive risk program, by the way. But what we're doing is the adaptive risk program is looking at this through the lens of everything. In other words, you can't change your technology, right, to do something different without addressing how you're going to view that through the lens of risk, because the lens of risk should be governing what you change anyway, right? Right. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. be doing and creating cost in the enterprise just because, hey, I think that we need to uplift our technology, our security technology stack, right? We should be doing that through through our lens of risk. And by the way, and our processes should probably change around all that. And they will. The end goal of all this adaptive risk program is to automate and more cleanly orchestrate processes and make things much more tightly integrated from a security stack perspective and how we manage end-to-end risk across all these disparate environments, whether it's all the way from the consumer side. And by the way, the program covers everything from consumer all the way through workforce. So we have consumer security and adaptive risk modeling and all the way down through how we do traditional workforce and vendor risk and all that stuff and how we deal with joint ventures and partnerships. So all this stuff is going to fold into an adaptive risk program where we drive common objectives, adaptive risk objectives across all these environments to make sure we're making good choices around what policies are appropriate, what processes are necessary, and what technology needs to be there to support those objectives. There you go. That's my whole plan. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And you're talking about planning out three, five years in advance. So I imagine that that has to be really pretty data-driven or analytics-driven. I mean, is that, is that the case? Is that factored in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've got a lot better over the past three years at how we tell stories and how we drive analytics into our decision-making. Um, we've gotten a lot better at that. So, mm-hmm. And not all that folds into our risk management practice. It folds into our operations. And, and so we have a lot of this data underpinning. And what it's doing, it's saying is that here's the way things are operating today and the effectiveness of those objectives and underlying operations. So we have that today. We have effectiveness measures. We have all those things that the, through the entire control architecture, and it tells us how well things are working. So yes, we have a lot of data informing the current as-is state, but also more importantly, as you're getting to informing the things that we need to do next down the road. And as a part of all this, there's an actually an analytics line item that sits in all of our security projects today. In other words, if we do a rollout of something new, part of our iterative rollouts, 
there is a, a measurement or an effectiveness line that says how well, and that folds into our continuous monitoring program so we can keep track of those new things that we deploy, but it also inform us when they become ineffective and we need to do something different. And what we're seeing today is there's a lot of challenges forming around the current architecture as they are today. And you, you know, maybe you hear that, hey, there's no more firewalls in the enterprise. It's all the end user now, right? Yeah. Uh, well, mm -hmm. kind of. We still have firewalls and we still have boundary protection and layers and levels in the environment. But there's some truth to that in that the identity and the endpoint asset are going to become much more critical in protection because that's where most of our trust is going to sit at in the future and how we make decisions. So you can't do that without good data. You can't do that without enriching asset data to say, what type of device is that? What is that? And then who is it? And then make a supplementary decision based on some policy on how you want to treat the combination of that end user, that asset, and maybe where they're located at or what time it is. And all those things that kind of come into how we handle trust, right? right. And so you need a lot of data to do that. So we've, we've done a lot of informing ourselves and then on what the things that we um, are not working all that well, but need to improve. And that's what those need to improve things are now built into our, our next plan. Okay. It's a big change from how things were done. And I would imagine that really you have to have buy-in from senior leadership to make this happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And our leadership team have always, they've been very, very supportive over the years on these, these changes that we've had to make. The nice thing is a lot of the things that we're setting us up for where we're at now in this next state plan. We're actually worked on foundationally over the past two to three years. So we knew kind of where we needed to go because we kind of look at the industry and what everybody's working on. But the difference between two to three years ago and where it is now is that now we actually have a plan mm -hmm. and we have a foundation to work from. Now, there's two major problems that exist when you're trying to transform the, the program into kind of this adaptive risk program. The first thing is culture. It's going to change the way people operate in IT and outside of IT. The things that they were doing yesterday in a technology area might shift because now all of a sudden something's automated. So now they're doing something a little bit different. So now they're seeing something orchestrated to them where before maybe they had to go right to all these different devices and to say, oh, that's how I do it. I go to a hundred different devices and check on them to make sure they're okay. But now everything's kind of getting orchestrated and summarized for them in a way that they can better understand it, act faster. It's probably a third one. The next thing is vendor fit. Uh, plain and simple, there are a lot of vendors, and this has been the case for many years, they promise a lot of things and they can't deliver. In the adaptive risk program, we're not only doing the cultural fit, but we're also doing the vendor fit. In other words, are you going to be a really good fit for what we're trying to do here? Don't tell me what you think you're going to do in two years. I want to know what you're doing now to get there, right? So what we're finding is a lot of vendors aren't necessarily on the same sheet of music of where we want to go. And so we might either, one, have to wait for them. If they're a good enough vendor, we'll do that. Or number two, just change and shift away from that vendor altogether, which is disruptive to the enterprise anytime you change technology like that or, yeah. or anything that they're, they might be doing for you. It's probably hooked to some process or something. So in the future state, it's all about speed, right? It's about working really, really fast. It's not about continuing adding staffing to solve problems. 
It's about how do we go faster? How do we reduce friction for us and increase friction for the adversary, right? How do we get there, right? right? And it's very disruptive when you're trying to change to these new models. In the zero trust model, there's some companies that have done that. Google almost more or less invented it in their beyond core philosophy, their paper on it. I'm sure there were other companies that did it as well. But not that they're not complex, it's just different than a healthcare system, right? We have lots and lots of of legacy equipment. It's like an old car that you had for 20 years and you got some new stuff on it, you got some old stuff on it, now you gotta try and make it all work together, right? That makes it very complicated for security, by the way. How do you design an adaptive risk program when you're dealing with really multiple eras of equipment <laughs> from an era from yeah. a technology standpoint, right? Era being like, hey, every five years, something's probably shifting, right? So we, our equipment goes much further back than that. So you're trying to account for all these things and the different types of workforce members, physicians, and different interactions you have in the system. And you're trying to say, let me build a trust model around that. Very complicated in healthcare. And I think that's one of the things that you'll see. I know my CISO peers are, we do a lot of collaboration. We're all trying to solve these type of problems. How do I really bring all this together? And I think we're starting really, you see us, a lot of us focusing on the same things. How do I do asset management better? These blocking and tackling things that aren't traditionally like a security thing saying, hey, I need you to get really good at asset management so we can do this over here better. Yeah. So you see a lot of those things changing because it's all going to be about, all about speed, agility, the ability to quickly adapt the enterprise to new emerging threats, especially the most, ones that move faster in the enterprise or against the enterprise. So that's really where we stand on all that. I mean, I threw a lot at you, but we're, that's what we're laser focused on about shifting the program. By the way, there's a lot of things going on, everything from how we measure effectiveness and how we do governance and policy management and everything at the administrative level. There will be some people that shift to this new technology model and don't shift the administrative model, the governance and risk side of this. And they'll find that quickly that they don't meet in the middle. They'll be very disconnected. Yeah. All of that has to be there and and be important parts of it. Mm Mm-hmm. You talked about the vendor fit and and how that's important. And I imagine there could be cases where at first it does seem like the right fit and then somehow things change. And I guess that you really have to be ready to ready and willing to address that and to work with them or make sure that they are going to work with you to fix it. That's right. It really does make you look at your entire, when you're, when you're designing end to end like this, because you have to all of a sudden, before you could sit here, I'm going to do firewall design. I'm going to do anti-phishing protection or phishing protection over here. I'm going to do data loss prevention over there. And you didn't really need to have like this kind of coalesced, integrated and orchestrated plan. But moving to these kind of adaptive risk and zero trust models, you have to and not all vendors are going to work real well together because they have their own mm-hmm. different, they, they might have incentives maybe not to work that well together. Not that I don't think they would say that outright, but I don't right. think that you have a company saying, you know what, I need to integrate with every other security platform out there because <laughs> yeah. they could never afford that. That would be crazy, right? You would never do that. Oh, yeah. And, and so you have to do is make good choices and then don't get that sunk cost bias when you say, you know what? 
part of this architecture is working really well. This one over here isn't, but you know, we've already invested a bunch of capital in it, let's say three years ago. We should just keep it. Well, at some point, you're probably going to need to make the business case, especially if it's not a good future fit, a good business case on why it's important to transition now. You need good data points and you need to have a good rationale yeah. for that. Say why I need to shift and make a new investment. If the CISO can do that, I think, and can show it in kind of a, a more holistic way on where the benefits are going to come from and doing that. By the way, it's not about sole sourcing under one vendor to do it all for you because there's none of them that can. Yeah, it's sure. just find the vendors that can work well, really well together, where you can achieve some of these very sophisticated goals around, once again, speed and about automation and agile. And by the way, by doing this, laying in long-term, much more predictive costs around security, where mm -hmm. the next threat doesn't, that comes up, doesn't make you like a bubble, a big bubble yeah. of cost. Right, right. Where you're now consume a much more holistic set of threats without, once again, creating cost bubbles. And I want to level all that out where these become much better predictive cost models and over the long run. But once again, it'll take a little time to straighten that out. Hopefully yeah. that makes sense. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about your background before we run out of time. So sure. you, uh, you spent some time with the VA and I imagine that that was uh, an interesting experience and maybe helped to kind of uh, prepare for this role. But is there anything about that that really kind of sticks out or um, any way in which that benefited you? Um, what I learned out of the VA, number one, the VA is very about much about mission. It's like working in a healthcare system, right? VA, you're there mm -hmm. for veterans. You can feel why you're there every day, right? Because the mission is yeah. awesome. Now, underneath the hood of all that, it is a really, really big, from an IT perspective, it is enormous. We're talking like, what is it, like 7,000 just IT people? Their IT budget is like $4 billion or something like that. I mean, that's, that's like the size of our company. So, I mean, it's just enormous. And what you learn there, and I learned in, in the VA, number one is staying connected to the mission, even though you're dealing with a massive bureaucracy. It is massive right? You have the same projects unintentionally competing with each other. They're so massive, right? So I learned how to deal with really big things like that in the VA. And so that was very helpful. But the one thing I, I enjoyed most was the mission was awesome. I mean, you can do stuff for veterans. That's pretty incredible. And I, by the, when I was there, I worked in oversight and compliance when I first okay. got there. And I had a chance to go out to like lots of different hospitals and memorial areas where the VA cemeteries are and their benefit centers. I had a chance to like go to a lot of different health systems and it was pretty incredible to see the work that they did for, for our veterans. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really big. Yeah. And to be able to communicate from a security <laughs> perspective, to communicate across something that expansive is incredibly challenging and to invoke change is hard. I, I do love their mission. They do great work in that regard. Yeah. Well, you are, you are a veteran, right? Uh, you spent yeah. some time with the Marines. Yes. I was fortunate to have a lot of different roles there. I started off yeah. in the infantry and in the radio, I was a radio operator. I was in the infantry. I, I worked in aviation as a maintainer for many years. Um, I worked on KC-130s and I was also in a Harrier squadron. And then from there, I moved into data systems and eventually information security. So I had a kind of an expansive career. I also had a stint as a career planner as well, where I tried to get 
Marines to re-enlist. Um, was actually not too bad at it either. No. So I had a lot of different roles there, but what I tell everybody my time in the Marine Corps, setting aside all those leadership things you learn and just working, serving with people with a common mission and, you know, Marine Corps is a bit of a brotherhood and yeah. you just are connected together with, with your counterparts. My wife was a Marine as well. <laughs> oh, wow. And, That's very cool. Um, so you got to have this camaraderie, which is awesome. But I worked in aviation and I always tell everybody everything I needed to know about information security, I actually learned in aviation hmm. because your mission in aviation, when you're trying to keep planes up and flying and do the right thing, I worked in quality assurance and had a lot of different roles in aviation, from fixing them to working on quality assurance. You basically have young men and women, about 18 year olds, working on aircraft where people are piling into to go up and fly. So think about that for a second, 18 year olds, yeah. right? Who had about three to four months of training on how to fix an airplane, <laughs> right? Amazing. All of a sudden Amazing. you're like, I don't ever want to fly in one of those airplanes ever, but actually there's some of the safest <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Because yeah. of the structure around it, uh, the leadership around it, the expectations of the people you work with, not only peering expectations, but leadership expectations, accountabilities. But you can kind of see the way the culture formed within aviation to say, you know what, I've got to do this right all the time. There are no shortcuts. Otherwise, somebody could really get hurt, killed. Yeah. And I learned everything about like that quality structure and how to really make things happen safely in aviation. It's a, it was an amazing experience. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.